Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 47 of The Back Check. Brendan and Stefan here. We have a great show today. We have a special guest coming on later, Matthew Blitner, who is a podcast host himself. He's an author, four-time author. You can find his books on Amazon, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, and announcing books. We're also going to dive into the Olympic debate, the Carolina Hurricanes up to their you know, bunch of jerk shenanigans again. And it's going to be a fun little episode here. So, Stefan, how's things going today, buddy? Got any stories for us about a men's league, men's league destiny child here? Um, yeah, I was asked to fill in, and I went to fill in as a goalie. I, I want to get shots and face shots. I think I faced a max of 10 shots. We merged the team 8 nothing before the second period came to a close. Did work up a little bit of sweat just because of the temperature there. Not a lot of work, so those aren't fun games to be a part of. And, uh, yeah, uh, any crazy stories? No. I, it's, been, it's been a solid, you know, very relaxed week. Yeah. Opposite of relaxing for me. Oh, I'm a, but I'm I, a new I crib now. I know. I was gonna say. I saw your new crib. It's great. I love what you did with the place. Um, yeah. No, you're in a perfect spot too. You got a beer place right next to you, so that's good for you, I guess. But not good for your health, but good for your mentally. So good there for, you go. Good for the uh, the good times, bad for the liver. But you know what I did see? I was uh, on Facebook and I saw that our one year of starting the BS Sports Show now turned into the back check was like a couple of weeks ago. Really? So, so we should go out to dinner while. and celebrate. We should go out to dinner and celebrate with the money we made. It's it's crazy to think that. I mean, I've, I I kind of lost track of time during COVID because it was a bunch of nothing going on. Days just yeah. blended into the next. But a year ago, we started this stuff, so that's pretty awesome to see where we've come to. You know, people that are listening now. If you did listen to the first episode of the back check, kudos to you because we were a rough start then. But we've definitely gotten a little bit better now and a lot better stories to tell too. So. And now that you're in your own place, I think that means we're doing podcasts in person now. We we better start it. I mean, I got this whole setup done just for it. So 
it's it's got to happen sooner rather than later i mean i'm down to come over whenever so no yeah it definitely looks like a cool thing that'd be awesome because you know i've pretty much since covid since we started it's me looking into a computer screen at excuse me a computer screen at you and now i get to see your pretty face in person and talk just don't spit on me it's a uh you're you should consider yourself very lucky to have that ability um you know to see me of course but yeah of course it'll be fun if we start doing that especially once the season kicks off like i'm itching for some hockey man it's, well, it's what been is too it? long it's uh less than a month until islanders pre-season. rangers game one preseason which i'll be at your house for and have a few beers maybe i'll throw a little bet there maybe we'll do some live uh live broadcast yeah imagine betting on preseason yeah, I don't even have their roster yet. They're putting out, they're putting out uh, no namers for this uh, pre. But no one's. Who do you think plays in that first game? I, don't, I honestly, right you you probably see some regulars, but usually the first couple of preseason games you have like you know seven regulars and then other people trying to make it, and then they take those seven out for the next one, swap them out, or maybe ten and ten. But for the Islanders, I don't know. Are they allowed to play like somebody like a Parise or Palmieri, right? Who we or all believe is going to the Islanders, but they're not technically signed. They can't play. Well, they could play because by the time training camp opens, they're they going to be on the. Be. They're going to be on the ice. That's what happened last year. You know, they didn't announce anything, and then you say, "All right, Matt Martin's on the rink." All right, you know, he got a deal because he wouldn't be allowed to go on the rink. Barzal's not there. Oh, there's no deal. And of course, fortunately for Islander fans, he did in that fact make done. his way onto the ice. I think the day before, a couple of days before the actual opening night of the season. So hopefully that's not the case this time because Islanders have to do a lot to prepare for their 13-game uh, road trek to kick off a season where we talked to uh, you know Matt Blitner the other day about it, and he's like they have to play 500 hockey and they're in the mix. This is for a team that was pretty bad on the road. Um, it'd be fantastic if they did a lot better than that because, yes, they're on the road, but I think, I think it's good for them um, because I look at it two ways, and I know, yes, being on the road's tough, but for the last two seasons where you had COVID, where you couldn't do any team bonding, you have new players during the team that can't go out. Sorokin hasn't been out on nightlife and chilling and exploring at all and being able to bond in that way. And I think that's really important, especially when new players come in. Zach Parise, um, which we pretty much know he's signed. But youngsters that get a chance, you know, you have the whole entire time not being at home, that distraction with UBS, which should be a good distraction, but also you're on the road, find your game on the road, work out with your teammates, build that chemistry that maybe wasn't possible to be built the last couple of years. Come back, if you're talking about 13 games, I'm really bad at math, hold on. Like, why can't why can't they go 8-5? and five? You know, why can't that be? 500, it's great, but for this Islander team, it's we talked about uh, mediocrity the last couple of years during the regular season. A great start would be fantastic for this club to then come home play at UBS Arena and already be in your you know you already found your game again the road's not a great place to play but the Islanders could really do a lot of good things on this road trip it's not necessarily a terrible thing they definitely can um the the one thing that's unique about this right so forget the fact that they are on a 13 game road trip and it's like the longest ever start the season so that's that's unique in and of itself but last season that you played the same seven teams so your road trips really were non-existent. And then you had the bubble. So really over the course of the last 18 to 22 months, they haven't had these eccentric road trips, let alone 13-game yeah. road trips. And you look at the teams that they're playing, they start off in North Carolina, they go to Florida, then Chicago, Columbus, Arizona. You make that West Coast trip, then you're in Canada. They're, they're all over the place. And I yeah. think that for a team who hasn't necessarily traveled, 
that might take its toll. Just the amount of travel they're going to have to do and play games. Your body, where everyone's creatures of habit, especially yeah. athletes. So over the last year, they haven't had to do that. And that's, I think, an element that people are overlooking, not just for the Islanders 13 game start, but for every team. Every team's going to have a road trip of at least five games this year. And now you're looking at the actual travel. Now you're going cross country again. You're switching time zones. The Islanders are going to be doing that multiple times over the course of that 13 game road trip. So if they can come out of eight and five, that's a huge, huge success for the Islanders. That, I mean, that's a crazy road trip if they could do that. Again, it's the longest road trip to start a season ever. And you look at the teams they're playing, and they're not shoe-ins. First off, it's the NHL. There's no shoe-ins. You could play Detroit at their worst, and they could still beat you somehow. Not likely, but it could happen. But, you know, look at the Islanders' road record last year. I mean, they were 11-13-4. I mean, you look at the teams in the in – the, well, it wasn't the Metro last, the East. The um, You look at it, and they didn't square off. That's pretty much why they finished where they finished because their home record was – Phenomenal. I think it was top yep. two in hockey next to Penguins. It was just they were unreal in NASCAR CM last season there. You want consistency. It starts in the road. And I just think if you can get back eight and five, I guess would you take 500 given the situation? Yeah. But I feel like if the Islanders think that they are an elite team in the NHL, which they haven't proven in the regular season and the playoffs, they've shown they could handle that pressure that comes, the, you know, the, the way they play. They're built for playoff hockey. But you're just waiting to see the Islanders become. Not, they want to go from a good regular season team, which I don't know if you could even classify as good when they the inconsistencies we've seen. But you want the respect. You got to put together a very good regular season because we again going to the playoffs and doing what you do is great. But you're going as an underdog every year. We talked about already in past episodes, like what would home field advantage, home ice advantage of how would that have changed the outcome? Does it change the outcome? We'll never know. It's you know you can't hindsight's twenty twenty. But a game seven on at home ice. Well, if you had won three or four more games during the regular season, you have that. Again, it, it we can't you know we could play that game all day long about how it impact them. But a great start to the season. We talk about points early in the year. Are they easier to get than points later? At the end of the day, it's the same thing. But early in the season, you're not injuries can't don't really play much of a factor unless something happens in exhibition play. But you're pretty much healthy to start the year. Collect those points when you can. Win those close games. Again, the Islanders play great defensive style of hockey. They don't got to score five, six goals to game to win. And scoring on the road is tough as it is. And for an Islanders offense that during the regular season is as underproduced, in my opinion, a lot of players don't step up when they need to. And that's an issue with a lot of NHL teams. But the Islanders could get that confidence going and return home. Let's say eight and five. That'd be that'd be fantastic. And if they do go eight and five, we'll look back at this episode and I'll tap myself on the back. If not, we won't talk about it. But um, no, I mean it's just hockey. The NHL is an interesting thing, and you look at all these teams that you play. I mean, you would think before the off season you play Chicago, right? That's a win. Columbus, that's what. Columbus is very tough to play. Chicago revamped themselves. Coyotes, who knows what's gonna happen with them? Vegas is Vegas. Florida is probably gonna be a top team. I mean, this stuff. It's not easy, but it, it'll be a good measuring stick early on to see if the Islanders have it. And it also is going to showcase, all right, what do the Islanders have to do well? Again, power play and special teams is going to be huge because they haven't gotten off to great starts on the power play. And if they could find a way on the road to get that going, it's just added elements to get this Islanders team back to where they definitely have a higher ceiling than... I hold them to a higher standard, let's just say, because we've seen when they go on those extensive winning streaks, like they show how good they could be. Now it's about doing that for a whole 82-game season, and it starts with 13 games on the road. I think everyone's kind of discounting the fact that they're moving to a new arena. 
Like, how do you know that home ice advantage is the same? No, no, you don't. The whole and, and listen, I want to preface this before we have people jumping down my throat. Okay, the I, I've been to games at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. my whole life. Nassau Coliseum is one of the hardest places to play for an opposition. They made it the way the arena was built, the way the Islanders fans are. I hate Islanders fans, but they are very passionate. They love the game. They're always there. They're loud. It makes it a tough place to play. But anytime you change up anything, even the ice, right? We're, we're discounting the viewpoints of the players. We're discounting the uh, way the Nassau Coliseum was built in comparison to UBS. And I'm assuming that they have, they have you said yesterday or two days ago with the interview that we have um, the biggest, lowest bowl, uh, first yeah. bowl. They, in, so in they the pretty NHL. much, yeah, they, what they pretty much did was they took Nassau Coliseum and every, they pretty much asked fans, and it was a really smart marketing idea. What do you like about this? What do you want to change? And Islander fans said they loved – the Coliseum was so unique because it was small, but it was lower bowl. You want a lower bowl. So they replicated that. They made the biggest lower bowl. The ceiling is – I don't – I'm not good at math again. I think it was like a couple of feet higher than NASA Coliseum, but still very, relatively low, which means the sound. It's going to echo. It's going to be crazy. Brand new arena. But I would have liked to see the arena be done. Obviously, everyone would to get some preseason games there because Coliseum boards – Players that have played for the Islanders know how the boards react, and you use that to your advantage. Every team does, and they know how their own arena works. Well, now you're going brand new into UBS, and that first game is that first game. So, yeah, I would like to get – but over time, you'll figure it out. Hopefully, the ice is smooth and everything like that. But, no, I think it's more about just the fans. The fans are going to embrace it. So it's not going to be – it shouldn't be a hard – it's not going to be like a Barclays where it's empty or it's quiet, even though people are packed. It should be a packed. And it should just energize the Islanders. Not saying it's going to be an easy place to play to start off. A lot of pressure, a brand new arena. You want to make it, you know, you want to play well there. You don't want to not play well there. It might be a little bit of a, a learning curve, like I said, with the bounces, the ice. But it's about being in front of the fans because the Islanders play well when their fans are behind them. And at a brand new arena, the fans are going to be ready to go, which means the players are going to feel that. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that the fans don't play the games. And like you mentioned, those little nuances that are going to come with a new arena, you know, they might take a toll, especially early on. So now you're talking about a 13-game road trip into your first few games at a new arena where you're trying everything out for the first time. There's a lot of ifs about this Islander yeah. season, and they're definitely talented enough to be seeing what they could do in the postseason. We've seen them make the postseason, but with the way that they have kind of gone up and down over the course of the last two regular seasons – it, it does worry me from an Islander standpoint of what that initial 20 games can bring when it comes, when you're talking about 13 games on the road and then first couple of games at home, but head coach is great. Defense is great. Team solid, relatively unchanged for the most part. And you're talking about a, a very solid team who's gone back to back, you know, deep runs in the postseason. So you got to think that if there was a team that could handle it and was built to handle it, it is the Islanders. And also, it's an 82-game season. If this was a 56-game season or, or less, this road trip is huge. This could be a make-or-break to making the playoffs. But we've seen the Islanders over the last couple of years, they go on those winning streaks. So they come back from this road trip, and it's not successful. Let's say they play under 500 hockey. Season's not over. But, again, coming back again on the road, at least being over 500 and coming back to a brand-new arena with confidence. I mean, it's all half the game's mental. You know, if you think you're going to lose, like the, the Maple Leafs, the Maple Leafs don't get past the first round. It's not because they lack of talent. There's a mental block. There's a lot of pressure. Again, the Islanders will have pressure. This is a very the toughest division. There's excuse my dog barking. I got a little excited there. So you heard Islanders hockey and just went nuts. But anyway, so you look at it as coming back over 500 is just huge. But if not. 
this Islander team is poised enough. Again, like you, you mentioned, the coach, they want to play for him. They believe in themselves. These last two runs showcase what their value is, how good they can be. It's just about getting it done. And I guess time will tell. This, Like you said, this is a similar team. Injuries are going to play a part. Back-to-back seasons of pretty bad injuries that the Islanders found a way to manage that. Healthy, though, and chemistry building and going out. It should make for an exciting season. Obviously, the road trips on the road, they come home, they play local teams. It's not like you're going out west and every game's at 10 o'clock Eastern time and, you know, it's exhausting. I mean, it's going to be a long road trip, but it's not that far from home. And then when they do come home... We just talked about at least yes. three or four teams that they're playing at west. No, yes, but like when they come... It's not like they're all at west. They play the Devils. They play the local Metro teams on their way back home. So that'll be at least maybe get to stay at home for some of those games and get that. So it'll be interesting. Again, uh, the, the NHL didn't do many favors, but it's all about it's the arena. It's not it's not the NHL's fault. They knew that it was going to take a while for that arena to be done, and they had to do what they had to do. I think the Rangers did something similar when they redid that whole place. Yeah, so the I think there was an eight game road trip yeah, when they yeah, redid uh, the lower bowl of the MSG, but. Uh, it's listen. It could go really well and it could go really bad, but you know it's a good time to segue into X factors. So we each kind of thought about one of our X factors for this upcoming season. So for the Islanders, right? We just talked about the challenges that lay ahead of them. Who do you think is your X factor for them yeah. to not only get past that, but to go on another deep run? Yeah, it's pretty easy for me. We talk about depth and how important depth is during the regular season, especially with the Islanders and injuries, but in the playoffs. And my player is Pacho. So Peugeot obviously is here for a while. He signed a six-year deal when he did come over an extension after being traded from the Ottawa Senators where he was a top-line player there. And there was a different system. It was not defensive at all. It was pretty much run-and-gun offense. And he put up points. He had great line mates. Comes to the Islanders and he's a third-line center on a defensive-minded team. Took him a while to get with the program, but when the playoffs happened, he played pretty well. This past season, though, has was tough. He had 14 goals, 14 assists, and 54 games. And you look at it as, again, his role is going to be limited. But he had about six or seven line mates, and it kept rotating. There was never a, okay, you're with this guy, you're with this guy, build some chemistry. Never happened. And I think now with who the Islanders bring in, let's say they have Parise locked up, which is a sure thing, and you have Oliver Wallstrom. Now that line, that third line of Parise, Pajot, and Wallstrom could do significant damage. Again, you're looking at three players that are offense. They could play offense. Uh, Parise is only a couple years removed from a very strong season. Wallstrom's about a, you know, he's really close to being a breakout player. He could be a top six forward. He should be a top three point wise. I mean, if he gets the minutes, he could be great. And Pajot brings so much to his game. He's a pest in front. He plays defense. I'm looking for him to get that, build that chemistry and showcase what he has because is there, can he go and play to the level he played like in Ottawa? Yeah, but it's about who he's, who's around him and he needs line mates and he's not a, yes, Trotz trusted him to play alongside anyone, which is good for Pajot. But you saw that production wasn't there. You saw some games where he just non-existent. Then he got hurt, and he had hand hand surgery. And how does he come back from that? But I think you look at the center depth is so important. You have Barzal at the top center, Brock Nelson who's going to have to be key as well. And then you have Sezikis, obviously if he signed back, which he, he probably did. So that third line, though, I mean that's a line that could play more minutes on the first line every night. And I think for Pajot. Not that he has pressure to showcase he's the same guy from Ottawa. I just want to see him along his linemates build that chemistry because I think if he could find a fit with his linemates and they play every single night together and they build that, Peugeot could be a top top offensive player for this team. And I think for the Islanders, it's a need. They need scoring depth. They have the depth. It's not necessarily scoring. And if they get the third line going, it starts with Peugeot in the middle. And if Peugeot's hot, Wallstrom's hot. And if Wallstrom's hot, 
this could be a very hard team to play against because they'll have so many pieces that contribute on offense. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good one. I mean, I've, I saw firsthand John Gabriel Pajot at his peak. He did, you know, with, spanking uh, the Rangers with in the Ottawa. Playoffs. So it seems like the Ottawa Senators didn't beat the Rangers that year. John Gabriel Pajot did. But, you know, flipping to the Rangers side of it, I think that the X factor is Sammy Blay. And I know that this won't get a ton of, you know, I might get some heat for this because obviously the Buchnevich trade was everyone hated it, right? Everyone that no one talked about Buchnevich until last season, but everyone all apparently loved the guy. Um, yeah, he he was a solid hockey player, right? But he didn't have the ability to stay on this team with what they have to do financially over the course of the next couple of seasons. So the move made sense. And when I look at Sammy Blay, he's in the last year of his deal. He's not an old guy by any stretch of the imagination, right? He's six foot two, two hundred five at twenty five years old. So he could throw the body. He had over a hundred hits last year in like thirty games, and he kind of reminds me of a mix, I guess, of Peter Pruka and Blair Betts. Now, for those of you who don't remember these two guys, or maybe you're too young, or they're, they were fringe NHLers for the Rangers at certain points, but Pruka came over had like 40-plus points in each of his first two seasons, did the little things, killed penalties, was a younger guy at that time, similar age to play, never really panned out in New York because he wasn't on the great teams, went over, had a couple years elsewhere, and then went back overseas. Blair Betts was a similar type of player. But for Blair Betts, he was a penalty killer, fourth-line role guy, knew his role through the body, big body forward, had multiple seasons around the league. I think he played close to 10 years. That's who I think that Blake could be. And we look at all the physical guys, but you don't realize that this kid has a size and ability to become a player like a Ryan Reeves, but has more skill than Ryan Reeves does too. And if he can kill penalties at the same exact rate and even better than Buchnevich did, if he could solidify the offen- the defensive zone uh, as a forward and cover those wings and throw the body around and then contribute a little bit offensively, like I'm talking maybe 25 points, that's a very solid player right there in your third or fourth line. And I think that in a contract year, he's going to be playing to prove that he has what it takes to stay at the NHL level. Wasn't necessarily given that shot in St. Louis and he could wind up being a fine for the Rangers. And one of those players that Rangers town collectively towards the end of the season goes, wow, we really love this guy because of what he brings to the table and because of the energy and physicality that he offers. There's no reason he can't be a fan favorite. He's one of those guys that you feel like the fans are like, I don't know if he's a pretty-looking guy because, you, know, lo- you know, a lot of fans love to just, oh, good-looking guy, you know, let's root for him. But, um, no, there's a reason that the Rangers got him. He wasn't just a piece like, oh, we're just going to give you blah because you want – it's Bucinevich. That's not how it worked. There's definitely something that Chris Dury saw in Blaise that – Bly, excuse me, that thought, all right, we should bring him over. Character, he could be a great energy guy like you said. And I think, yeah, I, th- I completely agree with you. that He, he could make a difference, and he's going to be an underrated piece. Fans are going to realize, like, oh, wow, look look what we got if he plays well. And obviously, if he plays bad, you won't stop hearing about it for, for the end of time, till the end of time. Yeah, but it's not like a situation where he is forced to play every single night. They've added other depth pieces around yeah. that where if he's not playing good, he's not going to play. It's as simple as that. But under a Gallant system, I, I really do think that he might have a role that he will be able to, to thrive in. And his point totals have gone up in each of the last four seasons, really, since he entered the league. Last year was his high with 15 points in 36 games. So he didn't play the full 56. He still scored a career high in points. And he threw, like I said, over 100 hits. I believe it was 105 or 111, something along those lines. So he's not afraid to toss that body, not afraid to get dirty and I, I do think that that's a kind of player that the Rangers, especially if you start getting into those more meaningful games, could really rely upon. Yes, yeah, so when we get back from this commercial break, we're going to talk about 
quickly about this offer sheet that's going on, you know, this, this revenge of uh, Carolina here, as well as the ruling on the Olympics. Be right back. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. All right, Brennan. So we have some, we'll do the uh, offer sheet first. So Brendan, if you want to just give a synopsis of you know what's going on there? Carolina Hurricanes seeking revenge based on something that happened last offseason. So Sebastian Ajo was offered sheeted by Car- uh, by Carolina by the Montreal Canadiens, and Carolina voiced their displeasure with that. Obviously, they matched it. Sebastian Ajo remained with Carolina, but you now flip forward twelve months, and all of a sudden you got Jesperi Kakaniemi, one of the Canadiens' young promising forwards, who's an RFA, hasn't been tenured yet. Uh, tendered an offer i should say and here come the carolina hurricanes with the biggest fu ever and they offer him a one-year contract at 6.1 million so now and a signing bonus of sebastian aho's number plus kakaniemi's number of 15 which is hysterical to me and it wasn't even like they did it and tried to be you know in denial about it and let let us like talk about the disrespect or the factor of that but their Twitter was going nuts, man. <laughs> it was hysterical. If you, first of all, I'm not a Carolina Hurricanes fan, but I no. follow their Twitter because their social media is one of the funniest ones in the league, and they were having so much fun. With this they system. copied uh, Mark Bergevin's exact words about why yep. they offered Aho and all the agreement with that. They word for word just changed the team name. So I think it was it's the biggest fu. And let, let, let's let's look at it as it is. If Montreal doesn't match. Then yeah, Carolina's paying six point one million dollars to this guy, but it's one year. So like, uh, does it hurt them that badly? He, he yes, is he a, a prospect that needs to prove a lot more, Cockney? Yeah, but I mean, Carolina's a very good team. He could easily do that, and then he could sign an extension with Carolina. And if Montreal matches it, they just screwed themselves because he's not worth six point one million dollars. Yeah, and, I mean, people are angry at Cockney for accepting it. He wasn't you, getting six point one million. Now he's guaranteed six. What was he, what was he probably getting? Two. Uh, that I would say between three? maybe three to four and a half because he is yeah. good. Um, he, he's a very good young player. Yeah. and he's controllable. So if they could get him on the books for say four by four, I don't know why Montreal wouldn't but have I, done that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he was also scratched. He he was scratched at points in the playoffs. Um, that, but they weren't. People weren't happy about it. So was Caulfield. You know, Montreal yeah. had a little bit of a whoever's going right now is going to play type of attitude because they were playing with house money. And the question is, does uh, Bergeron's ego get in the way? Like, does he have to match this to save his own thing? Or does he do... Like, the smart decision would be not to match this because... No, I think they have to. I mean, we're talking about a really high overall pick here. And Montreal fans are high on him. He is good. No, I believe he's good. Why would you lose your core like that? They're already losing these veteran pieces that are going to be gone. It's true. It's just like, again, like it's it's a one year deal. It's not going to screw you for a while. But if let's say he performs well at six point one, and then he wants another deal, how are you going to go low? Like you're gonna you're gonna be stuck. Well, if he performs well at six point one and is worth six point one, well, again. that's what I'm, but let's say he doesn't perform to six point one, he's gonna have a hard time wanting to go any lower than that. He like he might 
perform better than he did this year. Again, a full season probably helps him. But like, you have a very high start to what this guy's worth, and he's not going to want to go for less if he plays solid enough. Correct, but then if nobody oversees him next time around, then he goes to arbitration, and you yeah. got to think that arbitration is not going to award him 6.1. No, how bad would that be, though? You get a $6.1 million deal, and then have to go down to like 3.5. I don't know if it could be that. I'm not sure exactly what the, the like, CBA dictates, yeah. but I'm not sure how much of a drop it could be. It's It's funny. Because it does put people, and we always talk about how all these players are eligible to be offer sheeted, but just yeah. nobody does it. But it, all it takes is a little bit of spite, and how NHL teams have no problem doing it at all, which is just hysterical to me. But hey, either Carolina is going to get themselves a good young center. They already extended uh, Sveshnikov for a heck of a Eight long years, contract. Right? Yep, him and Katuria got the same deal. And Barkov is probably going to get a little more, but similar. Type Barco's going to get a great deal from the Rangers, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, geez. All right, let's go to the Olympics before we, before we end this thing. So according to Ken Yaff of Hockey Wanderlust, NHL players will play in the Olympics. And I know we have different opposing viewpoints. I'll go first. And as much as I hear about how some players value playing for their country more than winning a cup, which, I, which I've heard, and that's a high, very high honor, from an NHL standpoint, there's just so much risk. You know, with the Islanders, 2014, Islanders playing very well. John Tavares gets hurt. I don't know if he tore his ACL, something in his knee, out for this season. That's the, And back then, the Islanders were a one-man team. That was it. It was over. And injuries play a part all the time. And again, as much as I want to see the stars in the Olympics, it's great. It, it gives, obviously, you don't want to, you don't want to see uh, no-name players playing. Unless, you know, the Miracle on Ice, great, great historic piece was all these people that no one knew anything about amateur players and look what they did and that's cool as well and that gives those guys a chance to have jobs so they could be seen and maybe get more jobs in the nhl or minor league hockey wherever they want to play just the risk especially again covering the islanders back-to-back years of bad injuries do you want to see a player go over i'm matt barzell for canada anders leave with team usa get hurt again they Again, you're playing for your country, but I just think there's so much... Again, COVID as well. There's just so much risk. And at the end of the day, the NHL needs their players playing. You need star players playing. You can't go and see Sidney Crosby hurt himself and then he's out of the game. Or an Austin Matthews or even a Conor McDavid. It'd be so bad for hockey to lose guys like that. And again, I, I want to see these players play for their country. I just think there's too much risk. Always risk. Risk comes with everything, no, right? I completely agree. I mean, in a great world, you bubble wrap the players and they don't even walk down their own stairs because in case they twist their ankle the wrong way. But in a time where money is paramount for this league, right? You got new TV deals. If you say no to your players going to the Olympics, which is automatically the whole entire world's eyeballs are on it. People that don't watch hockey typically who are fans of the Olympics, who are rooting for their country will watch it. And if you have your stars there, now you're marketing the greatest players in the game on this big stage and for a marketing standpoint man you cannot pass that up i, but, I mean imagine russia playing without ovechkin right i mean imagine the usa playing without all their nhl guys well, we've imagine seen canada it. we have and guess what it's not good it I didn't wasn't watch it. as good so the miracle team from 1980 was also playing against amateurs a miracle team well, now would not I be playing against amateurs they they were playing against amateurs but you look at at like Soviet, uh, that's, they, Soviet they Union was an amateur team. They were not yeah, professionals. They were, 
but they were like the best of the. I mean, they, they were all wound dominant. up coming over to the U.S. after, and then playing in the NHL, yeah, they, and then that's when it all switched. Yeah. But listen, you need those players in this, especially during this upcoming season, and it's it's a but pause. Let me ask you something, though. Let's say the, look at the Rangers are trying to take that next step, and they have to make the – pretty much you'd want them to see them make the playoffs this year, right? Yep. And let's say that oh, – best play. Panarin goes over – well, he should, he should be cautious about going anywhere. But um, if he goes over and he gets hurt, and now you lose him for the whole year, you're not going to look back and say, damn, if only they weren't – again, it's selfishness yeah. for what teams you root for, but – like for teams like the Rangers or teams that need to make money and they need fan support and they need to make the playoffs, let's say a team's on the rise and you lose a best player or even two, whatever the case may be, and every team takes a step back, it's a tough, tough blow. It'll, and that could have suck. major but that yeah. has, that could have major implications on things. Yeah. The Rangers don't need to make money like the other teams do. They'll exactly. That's regardless. why I tried, I tried to like change but it a little bit. For but... Panarin, right? If he gets yeah. hurt playing in the Olympics, absolutely it sucks. And it will destroy what Rangers' chances have of going to the postseason. But I'm also of the viewpoint that if he got hurt playing there where there's limited contact, he was going to get hurt here eventually. So – that that type of thing, it's it's all ifs, ands, and buts. I mean, if Tavares didn't get hurt that year, there's no saying he wouldn't have gotten hurt during an uh, NHL that's, game no, anyway. That's fair. Um, it, to me, right now, the most important thing, and they already have skipped one Olympics because not even the health of the players, that's one part of it, but because of the pause in the season. Yeah, I think that if you can market the game right now and get more people on it and make more money off of it, that's the best bet. And we do talk a little bit about this with our guest, Matthew Blitner. We also dive into Rangers, Islanders, and some stories from his books. A couple of great ones there. So don't go anywhere after this commercial break. Live interview with Matthew Blitner. Stay tuned. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, everybody. We now have the pleasure of welcoming Matthew Blitner to the podcast. Matt is a four-time author. You might have read some of his books. See them on Amazon.com. He has the Unforgettable series featuring the Devils, Rangers, and Islanders, as well as his most recent, Voices of the NHL. He's a hockey columnist for NY Extra, and he works for CBS Sports. Matt, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, Brendan. Doing well, Stefan. Hope you guys are doing the same. Doing all right, doing all right. So I'll kick things off here. So let's start with last season. Obviously, the Islanders go on another run to the semifinals. It ends a little short like it did last year against Tampa Bay Lightning. But what was the Islanders' run like, and how was your you know fan engagement and involvement? Well, it's always a great thing when a New York team uh, would – sorry, when you exclude New Jersey, they don't really count as a New York team. Uh, whenever a New York team goes on a deep playoff run, uh, and of course the Islanders having done it back-to-back years, it was an awesome thing to see the fans be able to enjoy it this year because last year they didn't get that chance with the team off in the bubble first in Toronto and then in Edmonton. So there was a bit of the team missing. You know, the, C- the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL, they like to have their 12th man on the field uh, over their field. Well, the Islanders have their sixth man on the ice. Uh, Nassau Coliseum and so for me 
my editor and I, we went uh, before game six of the Bruins series. Yeah. And we actually went to the Coliseum parking lot to interview some of the fans who to do a whole video multimedia feature on the fans as they were there tailgating. Obviously, we all know our on the fans during the playoffs love to get to the Coliseum parking lot 10 a.m. for a 7 p.m. game. So we thought we got some great footage, some great uh, interviews. And then we went just a few minutes away to Pirelli's, uh, where they were having a live stream there for Barstool, and as well having just a whole bunch of fans. Every TV in the place was tuned into the game. And we stayed through the first intermission, I believe it was, before we went back to a more traditional setting to top of the rest of the game. And just the amount of fan engagement we had was absolutely off the charts. I mean, yeah, when you think about the Islanders, think about that fans, the Coliseum. Hopefully with UBS Arena, it'll be the same type of feel. Biggest lower bowl in all of hockey, so that's going to be interesting stuff. But, I mean, that's great. I mean, fan engagement's everything. Like you said, the Islanders, they needed their fans. It may, what happens in a Game 7 at Nassau Coliseum might be a different outcome. But, Brendan, on to the next one. Yeah, definitely. And I was one of the opposing fans that was coming to games at Nassau Coliseum for the postseason. <laughs> and it's always a great time. You tell me postseason hockey's around, I'll be there to watch it. But you talk about the Islanders and what they have in place already, obviously back to back conference finals, you know, Stanley Cup semifinals, whatever you want to call it. And you have the Devils who had a pretty solid off season, right? You got guys that are growing and Jack Hughes is gonna get more mature. They added Graves, they added a couple other pieces as well. And then you look at the Rangers getting more physical and they obviously have, you know, their young kids and of themselves that should be growing as well so tri-state area hockey very exciting how excited are you for this upcoming season and you know just kind of encompassing you're going to be covering it so what's the buzz like around all three teams well i'm going to give you a sort of incomplete stat and i'm going to let you or your fans uh look up the actual number so if you go back several decades now um it, i don't remember the exact amount of years but it has been a few decades at the least that Every single year since, at least one team out of the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils have made it to the playoffs every single year. And that goes back a few decades now at this point. Obviously, the Devils came to New Jersey in the early 80s. Islanders came in the early 70s. And the Rangers have been in New York since the mid-1920s. So it's pretty special when you have all three teams managing to at least get some... You know, you're you're not going to have a quiet spring you're not gonna have a dark spring you're always guaranteed to have someone who's playing under the bright lights of the stanley cup playoffs the islanders there's no reason for them to not go at least back to the eastern conference final this year could they go all the way to the stanley cup final we'll see i know stefan is hoping praying for that he's got every finger and toe cross he possibly can <laughs> the rangers they're on they're a team on the upswing obviously the you know, the owner and James Dolan decided to get a new GM and president in Chris Jury, who then brought in a new coach in Gerard Delant. They brought in some new players. There's going to be a lot of exciting things going on at Madison Square Garden. Uh, you know, they're going to play a different brand of hockey than what you've seen in the last few years. It's going to be almost a little bit more reminiscent of what they did in 2011-12 under John Tortorella. Probably won't get as hairy and physical. I don't expect this team to lead the league in fights, but they will certainly be up there in the physicality department. Uh, we'll see whether or not the defense and the goaltending and the goal scoring can match 
that intensity. Uh, of course, the top two lines won't be all that different, so they should be fairly well prepared in that regard. It's really going to come down to whether they're able to roll a third and fourth line that, beyond just being physical, can also contribute offensively. If they can do that, size the limit. As for the Devils, look, they're also in a rebuild. They've got a nice shiny piece in Dougie Hamilton now. They are, you know, they added, he's not going to play this year uh, unless some miraculous thing happens towards the end of the year. Luke Hughes is not going to play in the beginning, but they have a team on the upswing as well. And if the Islanders can hold on now, of course, I don't mean hold on from an age perspective, but from the cap perspective. We all know that the cap is staying flat for a few years. We all know that the cap is no one's friend in the National Hockey League. But the Islanders can somehow hold this window of theirs open for another three years or so. And the Rangers continue to go on the upswing. And the Devils can continue to go on the upswing. You might see towards the end of that three-year window where all three teams are viably in the playoffs at the same time. And it'll be a hockey bonanza here in the tri-state area. Now we just got to add Buffalo to that. Well, <laughs> no, way. no no one down in New York City cares about Buffalo. Uh, I know I shouldn't be saying that as an author of a book that just encompassed the entire National Hockey League, including the Sabres, but uh, I and, you know, hope that no one from Buffalo is listening to this right now. I, probably not. Um, <laughs> probably not. But, I mean, you did just talk about right all three teams, and we're going to touch on in a little bit why the Islanders – what. Even though everyone obviously thinks that they're going to be making the playoffs, and rightfully so, they're one aspect of the last couple of seasons that might raise a little bit of a question. But sticking with the Rangers right now, are they a playoff team? And, I mean, it's a tough question because obviously you're looking at, will Kako and Lafreniere take that jump? Will Edel be that 3C and be healthy all season? You know, if they keep Strom and don't go after the I will hold the saga there, does he continue the way he played with Panera? Is Panera healthy the whole year? the young kids on defense and the physical guys that came in, do they all contribute? So there's a lot of question marks that have to go right for them to reach that point, but they have it all there. They have the goaltending. They have the young defensive core that was a lot better than people thought last season. So do you think they wind up in the postseason, or do you think that this is another year where they're just on that outside or a bubble team towards the end? And we look towards next season after that. So Ranger fans are not going to enjoy this answer too much. They are Certainly an improved team, and they're going to continue to get better. No doubting that in any way, shape, or form. They are in an extremely tough division. Yep. They are literally in a metropolitan division that has the Islanders who have gone to the third round back-to-back years. They have the Penguins, who it wasn't that long ago, were back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. They have the Capitals, who not that long ago, even more recently than the Penguins, won a Stanley Cup. They have the Flyers, who disappointed this past year, but should, in theory, be better this year. You have Carolina, who was one of the best teams in the regular season last year, back in their division. They're not the candy canes that people knew them to be for so many years. You have Columbus, who is never an easy play. And that's before you even get to a team like the Devils, who, you know, just the Hudson River rivalry is always going to be exciting. So if you said to me the Rangers were in a division where there was two logical playoff teams and then a whole bunch of question marks, 
then yes, they could absolutely get in in you know whether it be the three spot or in a wild card spot because I don't see both wild cards coming out of the Atlantic. However, the Rangers are in a very tough division. So should they be in the race to the end? Absolutely. Do I see them finishing more than, let's say, five points conservatively out of a playoff spot? No, I don't see them finishing more than five points out. In fact, I could see them probably finishing more like two points out of a playoff spot. But unless the – and this is a big caveat. Gerard Gallant is an excellent coach in terms of motivation. Not so much in the X's and O's. And that's not a knock against him. Every coach has something that they specialize in, and every coach has a little bit of a weakness. He's a great guy. I've spoken to many people who have known him for his entire hockey career, going back to when he was a player. So if he can somehow get Zibanejad, Panarin, Strom, and the likes of them, if he can get them to buy in to his system the way that David Quinn could not, then you're talking about the potential for the Rangers to sneak into a, one of those last playoff spots. Because then there's the real possibility that if they can combine the offense with the grit, as well as having strong goaltending and strong defense, then they could sneak past a team like the Flyers and make it where they're one of those, let's say, top four teams. But if, and look, Gallant has shown time and time again he can motivate his teams for the first year or two. We'll forget about what happens in the third year. But if he can get them to buy in immediately and they can get off to a hot start and you can bank some points early in the season that maybe other teams like the Islanders who will be on the road for the first 20 games roughly, if you can bank some points early and then when the inevitable mid to late season swoon happens, because it happens for every team, then maybe you might be able to have something. But short of that, I think they just miss out and we'll be having the same conversation next year. So from an outside perspective, I look at what the Rangers did this offseason as they built themselves a team that can now play physical in the playoffs. Now the problem is you got to get there. So like you said earlier on in the show, it's going to be about their depth. Can those guys they brought in, despite being physical guys, score? Look at the Lightning. Those guys that were pests and were physical and hard to play against found the back of the net. You look at the Islanders and up and down that lineup, yeah, they haven't been consistent over the last couple of years during the regular season, but they could all score. And that's why they've been able to be productive in the postseason because when the top line is getting shut down by the best defensive pairing on the other team, your second line scoring, your third line, which really isn't a third line, and we know how Trotz likes to roll his lines, isn't really a third line. It's all about depth. So really for the Rangers, it's more so about, yeah, can their top guys produce? But like you said, I think it's going to really come down to how does their bottom six rank offensively against the other teams in this division? Because we know the Metro, up and down this Metro division, you probably look at scoring-wise, and the Islanders are probably one of the weaker, quote-unquote, scoring over the last couple of years. It's just their defense has been so good. For the Rangers, how many, Brendan, how many games they lose last year by a goal? Honestly, off the top of my head, I can't tell you, but, but it was a lot often. of their games were, were close. close. And, if, where... and if, if they win more of those one-goal games, they're probably in the playoffs last year, and the Islanders aren't. So I think it's perfect to like swing over to the Islanders now because the Islanders have had great playoff runs in back-to-back years. Again, you, you want to win the Cup. It hasn't happened yet, but... 
you look at the regular season, it's been really inconsistent. Scoring has been not there. They've slumped. They've they've started off great, and then they go on those streaks that they always do, those nice long winning streaks, back-to-back years of beautiful winning streaks, and then they fall off a cliff, and then they let other teams catch them or get close. And you saw the Islanders last year. They were at the top of the division, and then they made their playoffs just barely. So now in a full 82-game season, do you think this helps the Islanders stay more consistent, or do you think this might be an issue now that there's more games, and obviously you have to try to win more games? So I'm going to equate the Islanders to a team that no one in the New York area is fond of. And Brendan, uh, this is going to apply more to you than to Stefan, but you know, you'll both appreciate this. 2012 and 2014, the LA Kings win the Stanley Cup both years. Yes, they were. They Stanley were Cup the team. eighth seed in the Western Conference in 2012. And if you really want to look at it, they were the 16th seed. They were the worst of the 16 teams in either conference to qualify for the playoffs in 2012. Obviously, 2014, they had a little bit better of a standing, but again, you're going to focus on 2012 for a second. They were an excellent team, absolutely deserved to win the Stanley Cup that year and again in 2014, as much as it pains me to say that uh, about the 2014 team. <laughs> but they are a team built to succeed in the playoffs. And the old adage is, if you can get into the playoffs, it doesn't matter whether you get in as the one, the three, the five, the eight. It doesn't matter. Once you get in, whoever's hottest and healthiest and best constructed to perform in the playoffs in that physical and emotional grind is going to be the team that goes all the way. The Islanders don't need to finish number one overall in the Metro division. Okay. In the late, in the mid to late 70s, when the Islanders began to really build themselves into a powerhouse, they were getting 116, 118 points a year in the standings. You know what they did? They lost to the Rangers in a year. They lost to the Canadians in a year. They got upset in the playoffs before ever making it to the Stanley Cup final. What they do come 1980, instead of finishing number one with 116 or 118 points, they scaled it back a little bit. Not that they were intentionally trying to have fewer points, but they changed their philosophy a little bit. And instead, they went in as a two or the three. And what happened? They went on a dynasty of winning four straight cups. So they were built to do it in the playoffs. You don't need to get in as the one. You just need to get in and then let how you're constructed take over. So that's what the Islanders need to do again. They don't need to worry about finishing one and be past Washington and Pittsburgh. They just need to get in and then let everything take over. Well, like, when's the last time a number one seed won the cup? It just doesn't happen. It's so, they're so, um... Well, uh, I, I'm going to have to refer you to uh, Tampa right there. A couple, well, of years ago. A couple of years ago. Oh, uh, two years ago, yeah. yeah but last year, though, I'm they weren't number one. i refer you probably to uh, Washington as well. They were number one? I, I've... I believe they won the President's Trophy. It, Either that or they were very close to being another yeah. one. But it doesn't happen as often as people in other sports. If you're a number one seed in basketball, you, you probably are getting real close to winning it every year. In hockey, the number eight seed has could beat any team. That's why hockey is the greatest sport. The league's the best. We always talk about that. But like you said for the Islanders, though, they don't. They have not been going into the playoffs hot. They've gone on great runs. They got the COVID break, which helped them get healthy. You know, this year they had a little bit, and they go in there and they they play a really. They honestly got outplayed in that Penguin series for the most part. Just Tristan Jari forgot how 
his glove could, you know, goes above his shoulder and you catch things. Because if you look at that series, the only reason the Islanders made it, besides timely goals, is Sorokin played out of his mind. If Jari is a brick wall, Penguins are probably going to the next round. So, I mean, I think for the Islanders, like you said, they're built to just get in. The problem is, though, the winning streaks help, but if they go through another streak of losing, let other teams catch them, this division is going to be so tight that you really can't afford to do that, or you could find yourself out of a playoff spot like that. Yeah, no, you you obviously can't afford to do that. What the Islanders need to do is they need to weather the storm early while they're waiting for UBS to open. Yeah, You need to play a little over 500 hockey pretty much during that time, which should conceivably put them right around the three or the four seed in the Metro division, just because all the teams are going to be playing each other, so someone's out to lose, and so playing a little over 500 hockey won't really hurt them. Then... Let the hometown crowd, let the, you know, the best fans in hockey, let, let that whole atmosphere build at UBS. Let them start to get on a roll. They're going to have the Olympic break more likely than not, okay? More likely than not, the NHL will be taking that, I believe it's a 20-day exactly pause, so basically three-week pause. And then that can serve as their, quote-unquote, their COVID break, like what they had the past two years. And then come back, they'll probably struggle for the first two weeks coming back from that. Most teams do, because it's just a very disjointed start. Part of the reason why the NHL doesn't like doing the whole break for the Olympics, but that's a complete different conversation. So then they get back on a bit of a roll. Right around the middle of April, they should be clicking. End of April, regular season ends. And then the playoffs begin, I believe it's like the first day or two in May. So then you can go on your run. You can be hot. You can be healthy, hopefully. And then it's a matter of, you know, letting the pucks fall where they may. Yeah, it's going to be about staying healthy. Islanders, again, have gone through injuries. Pelic two years ago. Lee last year. It was tough. They weathered it. They made their runs. Hopefully this year for Islander fans, we see them in the Stanley Cup final. Now to your books. So you've written four books, three about the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils. You know, what about writing these books do you enjoy so much? And what are some guys you've been able to interview and have good relationships with now? So my books are a take-off from the popular book series called Game of My Life. What Game of My Life does is it takes teams from all sports, not just hockey, and they get iconic players from those teams, uh, well, from those franchises, because it's not really centered around one or two given years. So, for example, the Yankees book, the Yankees version of Game of My Life, you'll have Don Mattingly in there. You'll have Derek Jeter in there. You'll have, well, you'll have Chris Chambliss in there. You'll have Tino Martinez, Mariano Rivera, all these different guys, and they're going to talk about their favorite game that they ever played in. Great concept, and a lot of those books are very good. But what I chose to do was something different. I chose to get those same type of things, you know, favorite games and moments, but from the broadcasters, from the writers, from the scouts, from the PR people, because when you, as a sports fan, when you wake up in the morning, and I know I'm going to date this a little bit because technology has changed the world in a way, but you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? You go to the newspaper, you go to the back page, whether it be the Post and Daily News, the Times, Newsday, or whatever, and you check to see what happened in the last night's game. Obviously, today, you know, you don't maybe go to the newspaper as much. You go online. You go to the New York Post website or the Newsday website. Or you go to The Athletic or you go to your favorite writer on whatever site. 
and you're reading their accounts of the game. So why not lend credence? Those people are, more often than not, they're in the arena. They're in the locker room, in the dressing room. They're talking with the players. They're seeing things that maybe the TV broadcast or the radio broadcast doesn't catch. I've sat, I've been lucky enough to sit in the press box in NHL arenas since 2016. I can't tell you the amount of times I've seen a play or something that preceded a play or happens after a play that when you go back and watch on TV, you don't see it because the camera's trained on the puck. Yeah. So if it's away from the puck, you're not going to see it. But if you're there in person, you will. And that might lead to something or it might be the result of something. So I gave credence to what the writers, the broadcasts, all these people recall from their games, whether it be for the Rangers. You know, a lot of them talked about 1994 because, again, that book, the motivation was for the 25th anniversary. And I worked very hard over two months to make that book happen so that it would be out in time for the Rangers' 25th anniversary during the 1819 season. The Devils and Ireland, respectively, were more all-encompassing of, you know, because, first of all, neither team has been around for almost 100 years like the Rangers have. Yeah. Ireland are the first coming up on their 50 years in a couple of years, and the Devils are coming up on, like, 40 years. So it's easier to find people who are still around who remember when those teams came into the league. And you get some great stories about when they came into the league. The Islanders, one of the people interviewed in the book, not only was he a public relations director for the team in their early days, but he was one of the first people to find out because he was outside the door of the Board of Governors meeting when the vote took place that the Islanders were actually going to be a franchise. And he recounts that story of how they, he found out about that. What hockey fan, Stefan, this probably applies more to you than to Brendan. If you had the chance to pay an arm and a leg to go and be right there with your ear up against the door to find out, okay, we have a team coming to my area, I guarantee you, you're paying that price. Oh, the Twitter following's going up if I break that news. <laughs> Absolutely. And Brendan, you know, from the Rangers' perspective, uh, going to the 94 team, Rick Carpinello, who currently covers the team for the Athletic, yep. he's been around the team in one way or another since, I believe, it's 1978, if I remember correctly. Rick, if you're listening and I got your year wrong by a year or two, I apologize. I know you're very, uh, I, I know you like to be very precise about that. But he tells a story that in 1994 during the playoffs, um, I believe it was during the Stan, I believe it was during the Devil Series. And as we all know, the Rangers were on the precipice of being eliminated by the Devils. But before that, there was a lot of struggle going on in the series. You know, Game Five, I believe it was. There was, uh, you know, Keenan pulled and benched Richter and Leach. There was a whole lot of controversy going on. And so the next day, Keenan, who had not gone off the record all year. Everything he said in press conferences was always on the record. He told the media, listen, I'm not bringing the national media in, which during the playoffs is a big deal, by the way. He only spoke to the team beat writers, and there were more of them then than there are now just due to the media industry. So there were about 12 or 15 people back then. And he told them, put your pens away, put your pencils away, put your notepads, your recorders away. I'm going off the record. And for many, many years, nobody knew outside of the people in that room, nobody knew what was said in that meeting at all. Most people, if you're a fan, you don't even know that meeting took place because it wasn't reported on. 
the, the reporters were not allowed to use what they heard in that meeting to shape their stories. They were just being given the information uh, so that they could know why certain things were going on, but they weren't allowed to report on it. Sort of counterintuitive for the reporters, but you're, you're, you know, you guys get it. You know, you want that inside information. Correct. So Rick Carpinell tells the story in the book about exactly what Keenan said during that meeting. So um, now I'm not going to divulge it to you guys right now because I want your fans to go out and actually buy the book and read it. <laughs> of course, but we get it. You can imagine, you know, what Iron Mike is saying off the record. Yep. So you get stuff like that where, you know, a player is not going to tell you stuff like that. A player is yep. going to be like, yeah, we sucked during that time and we needed to regroup and we were confident in ourselves that we could regroup. Okay, is that really going to be a page turner? No. No, you're right. I'm sure this there is, was a couple of expletives in that uh, that meeting. This is definitely no, something Lamarillo would do. Lamarillo would definitely call a meeting and be like, hey, no reporters. That's probably what he did already with all the contract signings. He told them off the record, I've signed X, Y, and Z. You can't report it. Lamarillo doesn't even do that. Lamarillo holds <laughs> it even closer to the best than Iron Mike did, believe me. He oh, tells okay. his son. That's about it. <laughs> so <laughs> before we ask you know, our last question here, I do want to go back to what Stefan said about the number one seeds. And when the Capitals won the Cup, they had there was five teams that had more points than them. And when Tampa won the Cup, they actually did not have the most points in the NHL that year either. So it it does seem to hold true that I, I can't remember when the last time a President's Trophy team did win the Cup because I would have thought that those two teams that you mentioned, Matt, were the two teams that would have done it. So – it does seem like there is a little bit of merit to the fact that if you go in there and you talk about it with the Islanders dynasty teams, go in there as a lower seed, it might serve more of a purpose. Well, um, if, if you think about it too, teams that just get in have a lot less. Let me look at the Blue Jackets when they swept, they swept the Lightning. They had so much less pressure. They could just go out there and play. Tampa had all the pressure against them. If you lose to Columbus, I mean, that's embarrassing. Columbus said, you know what? We're going to give it our all. We got a good group. Let's try to win this thing. And they sweep them. So sometimes going in as that underdog is a lot less pressure because if you do lose, you're expected to lose. Obviously, in the room, you want to win. But when you go into the playoffs and you could just focus on playing because there's no one being like, you have to win, I feel you get more results, which is why we see so many underdogs get past that first or second round and make it to a cup final. Well, Stephen, if you don't mind, I'd like to just address that one point. Sure. Fair. Uh, Because I know a lot of people within both the Columbus and Tampa organizations and if you recall, Tampa was actually up 3 nothing in that first game. And they blew it, yeah. They blew it. They were up 3 nothing in the first period, uh, yeah. I believe it was. So it's a little bit different than just Columbus went and swept them. Tampa straight up collapsed in that oh, game. Oh, of course. And then they got out-coached. John Cooper got out-coached by John Tortorella, yeah. who really trade off of what you just said of, you know, we have nothing to lose in that regard, but not to let fans forget for a second that, Tampa was in control of that. Oh, for Couple sure. Yeah. Pucks bounced a different way. Tampa took their foot off the gas a little bit. You know, what's the most difficult lead in hockey? A three goal lead, a dreaded three goal lead. And that's what sort of led to it. And it sort of spiraled and snowballed from there where they couldn't get out of it and they choked. But you can almost imagine that if they would have held on to win that first game, they're not getting, first of all, forget about the sweep for a second because. Obviously, if a team wins the first game, then they can't be swept. But that series probably doesn't end in a Columbus victory. Oh, not at all. It was that that, that one period where Columbus came back. I remember, Brendan, we were in a hotel room for Nationals. Yeah. Watching it, and once you saw Columbus start, once they tied it up, you're like, oh my God, Columbus is going to find, and then when they find a way to win that game, 
you knew that they had the momentum and it just took them the whole way. Tampa had no idea what to, like you said, out coach. I just think it's cool because, again, covering the Islanders and all that, they're very rarely a top dog. They always go in, even if they were number one seed. I mean, let's be realistic. If the Islanders were one number, number one seed, whoever they're playing against is probably the favorite. That's just how it works against the Islanders because they play a style that not everyone loves. It's not a huge, let's go score 30,000 goals a game. It's more, let's score one goal and just not allow any, or let's score two and only allow one. So I think it's cool to see, like you said, though, you look back, Brendan, the top teams don't win it. So you just, like you said, just got to get to the dance and then anything could happen there. Yeah, definitely. And so Artemi Panarin's a beauty. That's basically what happened in that Columbus Lightning series. But uh, your latest book now is out on Amazon for everyone to go purchase, and it's Voices of the NHL. So you continue with that theme, talking to a lot of the voices who are synonymous with the game of hockey. So, you know, without giving too much away, because obviously we won't go out and people that buy this book, it's a great read. Give us like a glimpse of what's inside and what fans can expect from your latest release. Sure. So I actually changed up the concept a drop for this book, Voices of the NHL, where previously I'd fall into broadcasters, writers, PR people, staff. This time I focused strictly on the broadcasters. But where I also changed it is I didn't focus on the games. Yes, I haven't talked about some games, but the focus is on them. It's on their biographies, on how they got to be from where they were, why they chose to become broadcasters, what steps they took along the way who their favorite players were growing up, who their favorite broadcasters were growing up, and what jobs they got along the way to get to where they are today. And, of course, yes, I do have them talk about some of their favorite games. I have them talk about some of their favorite off-ice stories. Uh, For some who have signature calls or catchphrases, how those were developed, and also have them give a message to their fans, you know, the fan base of whatever team it is that they do games for. And I'm gonna share, I'm gonna share two stories with you guys, um, and I pardon a little bit of the language. I'll, I'll, I'll do my, beep, my I'll do my very own beef on it. So don't worry. <laughs> um, so the first one is absolutely pretty funny, and it's fairly short and sweet to the point. So the Nashville Predators have been around since the late 1990s. Okay, their play-by-play guy Pete Weber has been with the team since that point. Okay. At the time, the Predators were doing a simulcast, meaning that they had one broadcast that was going over both radio and TV. And he had a color commentator by the name of Terry Crest. So we're now, we're talking probably like 0203 roughly at this point. So the Predators are playing a game against the San Jose Sharks. Really not much to the game beyond, you know, I believe it was right around Thanksgiving, but, you know, not exactly two rival teams or anything like that. So they're on air, and Terry Crisp, you know, one of the players on the team, on the Predators, kicks the puck out of the zone. Okay, fairly simple play. Terry Crisp misspeaks and says that's a nice something that sounds like kick but isn't. Uh and as you can imagine, I'll, uh, you know, you guys are both gentlemen. You probably can figure out what he said. And so Weber, as well as their studio manager and the mixing board operator, just lose it. On air, they lose it. They're hysterical laughing. They can't even, they can't even breathe. Bear in mind, the game's still going on. So, you know, the game doesn't stop for a broadcaster misspeak. So for the next two minutes, roughly, all you hear on the broadcast is stifled, muffled, like people trying to like get air and get, uh, you know, catch their breath. 
And it abs- when Weber was recounting the story to me, I was like, there's no way this happened the way that it did. Just, it couldn't. I understand yeah. that before the age of social media, so something like that once it's been blown up. But just, you know, you would have heard about something like this. Well, Weber sends me an email with the exact audio file from that moment. I have to say, even funnier listening to it. Um, <laughs> so that was absolutely a hysterical story. And again, one that here in New York, uh, in a, before the age of social media, did we know about that? No, we didn't. So it's interesting. The other story I'll tell you, I'll actually choose a cleaner story. And bear in mind, a lot of the stories are clean in the book, but a couple of them might have language that small children might not, it might not be appropriate for small children. They can't um, read it. Small children can't read, so it's okay. okay. It, that's not true. I, I was reading when I was five years old. So, um, I, maybe I was just behind the eight ball, I guess. I don't know. It's certainly possible. But, <laughs> so Rick Ball, who is the TV voice of the Calgary Flames right now, back when he was making his way through the minor leagues, as a broadcaster, which is a lot like a player. You work your way up through the minors, you ride the buses, and eventually you hope to get to the National Hockey League. So one night, uh, and remember, Calgary, you know, Western Canada, a lot of these, uh, you know, minor league teams are in Canada. What do we know about Western Canada? It's cold and they get a lot of snow, especially dead in the dead of winter. So the team he's with, they are in Spokane, I believe, and they played the game and they got word that massive blizzard was coming and that they were going to have to get out of there as soon as possible. First of all, for that type of weather advisory to go out in Western Canada, that's got to be like a uh, day after tomorrow type snowstorm. <laughs> because they don't, they're used to that type of thing. So for them yeah. to put out that advisory, it's just, you know, that's just, you know they're in for. So... In the minor leagues, you don't really have too many TV broadcasts. The radio guy generally calls up the radio station that, you know, carries the team's game and gives them a recap of whatever happened. But because they had to rush out of there, he never did. So they're on the team bus. They pull into a Bob's Bid Boy to get some burgers for the players. So he steps off the bus. He leaves all the things on the bus. Players go inside to, you know, get some burgers. And he's calling up the radio station on one of those big old cell phones. You know, picture like early 1990s, you know, cell phone that probably the size of one of those jerseys hanging behind you, Brendan. (laughs) And so he's trying to give them a recap of what happened. When all of a sudden he hears a noise behind him. That noise is the bus pulling away because the players had got back on and no one had told him. So he's trying to run after them in knee-deep snow. And... All this stuff is on the bus. His wallet's on the bus. His money's on the bus. His jacket's on the bus. His snowshoes are on the bus. Literally, he's not dressed for this. And, well, he goes chasing after it. And here's the thing. The bus is about to turn onto a highway road that if it gets there before he gets on the bus, we'll be thawing him out with the woolly mammoth uh, after the next ice age. Finally, one of the players, by chance, happens to see him chasing after the bus. Tells the bus to stop, he gets on the bus. Obviously, he's gained some ridicule. Okay. <laughs> but he didn't do something. He forgot to hang up the phone. So he's yelling, cursing, swearing after the bus, trying to chase after it. But his phone is live with the radio station, capturing every <laughs> single word. So 
he didn't realize until, you know, all of a sudden he hears their voices coming through the phone while he's on the bus. He estimates that that clip was played probably about 10,000 times in the following week. And that to this day, uh, you can probably hear on, you know, like a dead news day, that radio clip played on some radio station that bought the rights to the clip. So as you can imagine, you get some fun stories. That's definitely that's, awesome. That's definitely not <laughs> definitely not kid friendly for that one. I'll tell you that. Well, uh, that, that's probably more kid friendly than the Scotty Bowman story. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've taken a couple of buses in my day, not obviously at that level, but if anybody causes any type of delay, you're heckling them, especially if it was something that had nothing to do with any of their fault whatsoever. So, yeah, but uh, that's definitely the fear and him <laughs> of almost being frozen to death there. We're yeah. talking about Western Canada in a massive, massive blizzard. Okay, I'm more, we'd, we'd be picking him out with a shovel right now. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned about his minutes needed to pay for the phone call. Oh, that, that's, well, you know what? <laughs> it, the radio station gave him the cell phone, so uh, that's all their problem. Business, they probably got great, great information from it, so they definitely oh, worked yeah. out in their favor. Terrific. Well, that's a great story, and Matt, we just want to thank you so much for coming out. It's been an absolute pleasure. Everyone goes, go check out his books. The newest one is going to be an amazing story about what he just talked about. So definitely find that on Amazon. And where else can you find the book? Uh, so it sold it. All four of my books are sold exclusively on Amazon. Okay. Uh, you can either type in my name on Amazon. You can type in the names of the books on Amazon. Or for those of you who are Twitter friendly, uh, I believe, Stefan, you follow me. Brendan, I think you need to get on that. Um, <laughs> You can just go to the link in my bio, and it's there. Awesome. Well, Matthews, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate the time. Uh, thank you, guys, for having me so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure when you can have a Ranger and an Islander die both interviewing you at the same time because, you know, it's great to see that you guys get along because most people wouldn't think that a Ranger and Islander reporter would get along. <laughs> we have no choice. Our parents made us. No. <laughs> and I do follow you, all right? So – I'm already on it. All right. All right. There's, Good there's, to there's, I'm on that. But yeah, again, thank you, Matt. Thank you for coming on. It was awesome. And uh, hopefully, you know, during the season, things go as you planned. And, and maybe we'll get you back on to talk at a halfway point. Sounds good. I look forward to it, guys. Have a good one, man. You too. Thank you all for listening to this episode of The Back Check. Stay tuned for Couchside Sports on Unhinged Radio, powered by Belly Up Sports. And we will see you again next week. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of The Back Check. Follow the show on social media at BackCheckPod. Our cars will break down, and when they do, the repair bill can be devastating. Not anymore. You need Protect My Car, whether it's a car, truck, or SUV. You can stop paying expensive repair bills. Call Protect My Car at 800-392-8795 now to see if you could qualify. Just tell us the make and model and get an instant quote right over the phone and get coverage today. For cars between 2008 and newer, expensive repairs for the engine, transmission, and much more can become a thing of the past. Call Protect My Car at 800-392-8795 now before your next repair bill hits. For total protection of your car, truck, or SUV, and less repair bills, plus free oil changes, free tire rotations, and free roadside assistance. Just call 800-392-8795 now. Protect your car and your wallet. Call 800-392-8795. Paid for by Protect My Car. Restrictions may apply. Plans and costs for coverage may vary. If you have been sexually assaulted... 
the sooner you seek care, the better. Emergency sexual assault medical care and evidence collection is available in New York State at no cost to you. A trained advocate can be with you every step of the way to help explain your options. If you have been sexually assaulted, you are not alone. Help is available at no cost to you. Visit safe.suny.edu to learn more. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 